Uh, Let's look at Genesis chapter 11. We are marching through a series that we are calling Depending on the Spirit. And um, it was really God's providence last week that we didn't get to deal with this part of Acts. We just didn't have time, and I was going to use some video that uh, we're actually going to use this morning. Uh, But I see the brilliance of God yet again uh, in putting us off a week. Um, Because we're going to look this morning at the brokenness of the world, especially when it comes to the enmity between the races and the cultures and the classes and even the genders, and yet how the Holy Spirit has a primary agenda, and that is the work of Jesus to bring all men and women together under His name in His church that the world might see something different and beautiful. Um, So let's look now at Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, and then we're going to jump back to Acts chapter 2, which is uh, what we looked at last week, and um, deal with just a portion of Acts chapter 2. But what in the world is wrong with us? Let's look. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, "'Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly.'" They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people seeking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord God scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now if we go back to Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia... Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. And then go to verse 42. They devoted themselves, they, now who is the they? All these Jews from all over the world, this diverse crowd that were speaking different languages, they unite together and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You for the gift of the Spirit. And we beg Your forgiveness for living a life against the Spirit's work. Father, we pray this morning that You would open our hearts and minds to the beauty of what You're seeking to do. To reverse Babel. To create a new community that stands as an apologetic of the power of the Gospel and the validity of the person of Jesus Christ seeking to bring glory to Yourself and the body and the institution known as Your church, that the world might know that in the flesh we are divided, but in the Spirit we are united. Oh God, I pray that You would give us visions of what You are doing in the world and what You will do in glory, that one day, someday, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that You, Lord Jesus, are Lord. So help us to be a part of that now. Show us our sin, O God. We need to see our prejudice. We need to see how we work for our own glory and not the glory of God. And I pray, O God, that You would heal us in this place this morning, that You would pour out Your Spirit. O God, I pray for Your wisdom as I preach this message. Give me clear thoughts, O God. And help me to speak clearly that Jesus might be exalted, that He might be proclaimed, and that we might be humbled and drawn near to faith in Him. And we pray this in Your name. Amen. It couldn't be a better week to be dealing with Acts chapter 2 and Genesis 11. Uh, Last Saturday, a week ago last night, the Trayvon Martin... um, case, or rather the George Zimmerman verdict was read, and George Zimmerman was set free, meaning that the man who took the life of 17-year-old Trayvon Martin uh, will will face no consequences, according to that verdict. A firestorm um, is still raging throughout the country and even in our city. Uh, We... Uh, see that Stevie Wonder is boycotting the state of Florida, saying that he will not go and do a concert there until they change the stand-your-ground laws. Um, We see that um, President Carter came out saying it was the right verdict legally, although he's sad for the family. Um, But I think something that really touched me were the comments of our president. Um, because what he points to is not necessarily the issue of justice and the legal realities, but he dealt with the issue of why it's such a sensitive and and, and real issue, especially among African Americans. Listen to our president, just in case you missed it. What I love about his comments are the fact that he's not really dealing with the case. He's dealing with 
the emotional reality of the case. He's dealing with the deep division that does exist in society that many uh, white people are completely oblivious to and even those that try to understand can't completely understand it. He's pointing to something that has been addressed and fought in so many ways, in so many contexts, for so many years. And yet, the only institution that God has ordained to really do something about it has not addressed it, and that is the church. We haven't built a theology to understand racism and prejudice. And so what we see in our text this morning, and why I'm, I, I approach it with tremendous respect and humility, because I feel very inept to be the one preaching this message. However, I approach it with excitement because the Scriptures have much to say, and we need to allow the Scriptures to say it. And one of the primary things that we see in the Scriptures from beginning to end is the reality that Profiling exists, and not only is it real, but it's at the very heart of the problem with the world. And it's not just one race over another, (laughs) but it exists and it divides, and yet it should not exist and it should not divide. In essence, what God is at work doing in the world, this is what I want us to see this morning, is ending profiling is ending racism, is ending this, this, this practice where I look at you or you look at me and we draw um, conclusions immediately based on the color of skin or the gender or the age or whatever. And we live and we treat each other in light of those foregone conclusions because you are X. You see, what we see in this text is that the Holy Spirit was given to create a radical new community. And it's what we all want. And none of us know really how to get there. But it's our job as believers to show the world how to get there. So how do we get unity and community? That's what we see at the end. We see this radical unity and community. Look at verse 44. All the believers. And, and all the believers. What does that mean? It means all these different people groups, all these different sects, all these different people that were divided are now together and they have everything in common. Amazing. So how do we get there? Three things. The first is this. Unity and community demands an honest look at ourselves. Charles Barkley, and I'm not going to show this video, AV team. Uh, I told you I was kind of going back and forth. But Charles Barkley was interviewed this week, and he made, I thought, some decent points. But he, he, he created a firestorm as well because his points were not, I guess, well-liked by some. And as I kind of waded through, I got Time Magazine delivered to me yesterday, and I saw that that... that the issue, um, this week's issue, is about the Trayvon Martin case and talking about the divisions and um, you know all the different opinions and so on and so forth. And as I listened to um, you know even our, our, our president speak, no one's dealing with the real issues in light of a Christian world and life view. 
no one's dealing with it in terms of the bigger picture of what God made us to be. You see, here's the, here's the real issue. If all we see in the Trayvon Martin case is that an African-American 17-year-old, unarmed, was gunned down, then we're going to make it a black, white, or black, Latino, or whatever issue. Here's how we must view this as Christians. It wasn't just an African-American. It wasn't just a black 17-year-old that was gunned down. It was a 17-year-old human being who was made in the image of God, who has inherent worth. It doesn't care what color his skin is. Who has inherent worth because he was made in the image of an infinitely beautiful and holy and righteous and worthy God. You see, when we make it a race issue, which I'm not saying there's not racial issues. Believe me, there are. I get that. But when we make it primarily a race issue and we leave God out, we're never going to have peace. But when we come together and we say, you know what, we grieve the reality that God has made a world in which His human beings, those He's made in His image, have a, have a purpose, and that is to go into all the world and to show His glory to the nations. I mean, that's, that, that man was murdered. Do you understand that we have a purpose and it doesn't matter what color our skin is? God has made us in His image, and in Genesis 1 and 2, He gave us a a commission. We think the Great Commission is Matthew 28. No, the Great Commission started in, in Genesis 1 and 2. God created man in His image. You know what? He said, go, rule, subdue, and fill the earth. He said, go show the world and you see what... what he's, he's basically telling them what kind of life to live. Don't be scared. Don't be huddled up together. Don't build some refuge to try to protect yourself or to protect you, know, you as a people. Don't fear being dispersed because wherever you go, I am with you. Live a life by faith because I'm your daddy. I'm the one that you can trust to provide safety. I'm the one that you can trust to provide food. I'm the one that you need to look to. Now go! Live this life of faith! And what we see in Genesis 11 are the the people of the earth uniting in order to build a city and a tower that reached to the heavens. Why? So that they might build a name for themselves. And did you get it? So that they might not be dispersed. Do you understand what they were doing in Genesis 11? They were coming together to try to build a society, to try to build a culture, to try to to build an economy, to try to build a city in which they did not need to depend on God. They tried to to build, to, to construct this thing in which they could all huddle together and enjoy each other's company and everybody has enough food and drink and safety And they don't have to trust God and go to the world. Does that sound familiar? And what does God do? In an act of great mercy, God says, come, let us go down. I love this. There's humor here. I don't know if it has anything to do. It does have something to do. But I've just laughed every time I read it. You know, they're trying to build this thing that impresses God, that shows God they don't need Him. And what does He do? 
you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, let's go down and see this thing. They, they can't. Even, God can't even see it. Is what He's saying. You think you're doing something great with your life? I, I mean, come on. <laughs> I can't even see it. Really? You built a great tower down. Yeah, all right. It's you know, not too bad. I love, love it. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they might not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Let me tell you what this teaches us. It teaches us that God will always frustrate your attempts to stay and to live a life without needing Him. Most of us in this room, if we look at our prayer life, we are going to God to build us a life that in which we don't need Him. I mean, think about it. What if God gave you the spouse you're so longing for? Would you just live for Him more or forget Him? What if God made the changes in your spouse that you've been begging God to make for years? Would you draw nearer to God and worship Him? Or when those changes were made, would you just be satisfied with your own comfort and a better marriage? What if God gave you that job? What if God gave you that money? What if God gave you that beauty? What if God gave you that power or or that ability? Would it draw you nearer to God? Or are you looking to God to create a life in which you don't have to live by faith? A life where you don't have to go out every day and trust Him for your bread and trust Him for to provide to give you the strength that you know you don't have. You see, that was the sin of Babel. And God said, I will oppose it. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. What is the humble? The humble are those that come before Him and say, Okay, God, I'll get up and I'll go out today, but I'm scared to death. I need you. You've got to show up or I'm dead. And now can't you see what's wrong with the church today? We're not going anywhere. And what we're looking to God to do is to bless our little efforts because we don't want to have to be dispersed and we don't want to have to live in need. And therefore, you know, okay, we'll think about mission and we'll think about church planning and we'll think about only if and only when. God says, go. Why? Because I'm your daddy. This is my world. And I am faithful to you. You can't thwart my faithfulness to you, church. Oh, you tried and what did I do? I sent my son to reconcile you to myself. (laughs) You can't thwart my goodness. Now go see it and live it. Go live a life by faith. So beautiful. God said, go, rule, subdue, fill the earth. And they turned to building and defending themselves all together. And yet, what happened when God dispersed them? Did they go to work and start living for His glory? No. And and listen to this. When God dispersed them, when God confused their languages... What they stopped doing was they stopped building a city and then they went out and started building a lot of different cities that centered around their language and their culture. 
And then they started fighting each other to see who was superior and who was best. You see, it wasn't like they got it. It wasn't like you had two guys building the city, you know, the tower, and, and one said, hey, one minute they're saying, hey, hand me that hammer, and okay, and the next minute he says, you know, hand me that hammer, and the other guy looks at him like, I didn't understand what you just said, you know. One minute you were speaking Hebrew, and now you're speaking Mandarin Chinese. I mean, what's going on here? Oh, I see what's going on here. God has confused our language, and therefore, we need to repent You see, oh, I understand now. Um, What we were doing is we were seeking to build a city and a life in which we didn't need God, but now we do need God. No, they kept building, but what they they went from building uh, a, a tower to building a culture that would reach the heavens. <laughs> they started to build a race that would be superior to all the other races in the world. And dear friends, that is where we live right now. I mean, just think about it. I mean, why is interracial marriage even an issue? Buddy, it is. In the church. Why is it an issue? It shouldn't be in the... It's not in the Scriptures. But man, I've heard some people try to make a biblical argument against interracial marriage. And I'm like, are you joking me? What is driving that? i tell you what's driving that. Babel. You see, I can't feel good about me unless I feel bad about you. I can't be secure in who I am and, 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 and my life that I've built that, that's monocultural, mono-race, and everybody looks alike, everybody talks the same, everybody dresses alike, everybody understands each other. I mean, I don't know how to live life if you, if you start changing the rules on me. And I'm so committed to it. You see, what I'm trusting is what is familiar to me in my culture, not Almighty God and what He might want to be doing in the world. Dear friends, it slows us down to have to try to understand one another. What, what would a proper response to God confusing the languages have been? Repentance. God confused the language and so now they should go to Him and cry out to God and say, help us to understand each other that we might now build the city of God and not man. Oh, we see what we did. We, we, we understand what we did, but help us now to unite because we know that unity and community is at the very heart of who you are. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons and yet one God. We know that living apart and being divisive and judging each other and not working together is against everything that you are as God. Do you see, that was repentance. That's what it should have, should have looked like. That's what Genesis 12 should have, how it should have been written as the people of God should have come together and, and said, we're not going anywhere, God, until you make us one again. Because we understand that we have blown it. And you say, well, what does that have to do with me? This is what it has to do with you. This is who you are. Let me ask you this. White people, are you trying to understand your black brothers and sisters in the Trayvon Martin situation, or are you judging them because they're just crying foul again? 
are you standing up for them to your white friends? <laughs> or are you just joining in or being quiet? My black brothers and sisters, are you standing up and defending your white brothers and sisters? Are you trying to understand your white brothers and sisters? Or are you embarrassed to be seen by them, embarrassed to be, to be acting like them because you're going to be viewed as a sellout? You see, it's, it's where we all live. And it's sinful. It's completely counter to everything God wants to do in His world. And especially His church. So if we're going to have unity and community, we must start with us. We must start with moving toward one another and saying, help me see my prejudice, help me see my profile, help me see what I don't see. And it's a lifelong thing. Secondly, unity and community demands an outpouring of the Spirit. I love what Janine said in the video. And really it's what Lindsay was saying, it's what Kelly was saying, it's this. I think Janine put it this way, you know, what impressed me was, or what struck me was to see the Holy Spirit at work in Sierra Leone. It's the same Holy Spirit. There was something familiar about it, and it almost made me feel as if I was back in the churches that I grew up in. And I want you to understand that that was not just a cultural thing. Because I have felt the same thing in churches in Mexico, and I am not Mexican. I mean, what's going on there when we go to another culture, we go to another land, or we just go to, you know, a white person goes to a black church, or a black person goes to, uh, uh, you know, a white church, and they're they're struck by the fact, well, you know, the Holy Spirit's at work there. Have you ever had that, that realization? I always thought the Holy Spirit was white. I always thought the Holy Spirit was black. I thought the Spirit was more at work. No, I mean, what was happening is the Spirit is about bringing together those that have been divided. The very work of the Spirit of of the Lord is to make a people, red, yellow, black, and white, agree over one thing, and that's the gospel, that I am a sinner and my only hope is Jesus. I'm not a black sinner, I'm not a white sinner, I'm not an Asian sinner, I'm not a Latino sinner, I'm a sinner, and and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and yet there's one hope for every nation, and His name is Jesus. And you see, that is where we unite. We unite at this cross. And that's what Janine and, and, and um, Lindsay and Kelly were experiencing, is that, whoa, the Spirit's at work convicting of sin and convincing of grace in Africa as He is in Memphis. What a glorious God He is. Amen? Do you see that? Once you begin to see that God is not your color, that God is not your culture... But he's everybody's color and everybody's culture. Then you stand back and you go, Hallelujah, what a God. And he gets the glory. You see, what Lindsay and Janine and uh, Lynn, uh, Kelly were experiencing was Revelation 7, 9 through 10. And that's really what Acts, the book of Acts is, and really what the church is today. It's a fast forward taste of glory. 
Listen to Revelation 7. After this I looked, and what God does is He gives a fast-forward, you know, God fast-forwards history and gives John a vision of what, what heaven is going to be. And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Do you understand that that's where history is going? And that's what I hear so many people here experience. I hear people come in and say, you know, that have never been in a, in a diverse, uh, racially diverse worship service before. I hear people saying, I just couldn't stop crying. Why is that? Because we have constructed and, and planned it so well that we have the right person sitting by you, and we no, you're getting a taste of glory. And do you know that's what the church is to be? We're to give this world a taste of glory. As we live life together, as, as we commit ourselves to one another, as we devote ourselves to being in each other's homes and living as brothers and sisters and getting way beyond anything that would divide us, but, but living as family in this world, the world should stand back and say, that's how church should be. Do you know how many times I hear that when people visit? Now, that's how church should be. And I say, amen. Why? Because that's how eternity should be and will be. And that's what God is seeking to do in the world. It's what Jesus came to do. In His day, the rift was between Jew and Gentile. Did you know that it was common Jewish culture, it was just commonly known, that if a Jewish person came upon a Gentile woman having a baby, that the Jewish person was not to provide any assistance because that would be basically helping bring more trash into the world. Did you know that if a Jewish man married a Gentile woman, that the family, the Jewish family, would, would have a funeral and live as if they're dead? You think racism's bad in our day, it existed then. And listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, this is a new age, this is a new day, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might... Why did He do all that? That He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. In other words, He's saying, I came to reverse the effects of Babel or Babel. I came to make two, to make uh, the two that everybody that's divided in the world racially and culturally and, and, and whatever divides, I've, I'm here, I came to live and to die to bring everybody that's divided into one body under my name. 
That was the whole purpose of why I came. It's at the heart of God's work in His world. You see, what's the amazing thing about Pentecost in Acts 2 and the sending of the Spirit was not that a crowd of diverse people came together in unity. I mean, we do that at a Grizzlies game. But it's that this crowd came together and they came together to proclaim the name of Jesus. Now, I want you to understand something. If you go back to Acts 2, you understand... uh, Look at verse 5. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So, all these nationalities that, that were divided and not doing life together are Jewish. So, what happens? All of these people that are going to their synagogues and going to their churches, their separate churches and their separate synagogues and their separate cities speaking their separate languages, all of a sudden come together and start worshiping the person of Jesus Christ. Do you know what is wrong when we say, well, it's okay for us to group by our, our classes or our races or our socioeconomic incomes and, you know, because, I mean, it, it's okay, I mean... Do you understand that if that was okay, that God would not have had to send His Spirit? God would not have to send His Spirit to draw the things that were divided together under one head, namely the person of Jesus. The the radical thing about the early church was not just that people were believing in Jesus Christ, but people who hated each other are now living in their agreement over Jesus Christ. People that wouldn't even talk to each other on the street, that that wouldn't even let their children marry, that wouldn't even help each other to deliver babies, are now brothers and sisters. That is what was, was radically different. You see, dear friends, unity around cultural similarities and commonalities and interests is not a work of the Spirit. It's a natural inclination of our flesh. Let me put it to you this way. If you see 2,000 people going to church and they all have the same skin color and they all have the same job and they all wear the same clothes and they all speak relatively alike and they all drive the same cars and they all understand each other's jokes and they all appreciate the same music, that you can probably conclude that they have not gathered primarily because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because you don't need the Spirit of Christ and you don't need the gospel to unite people who are alike. But if you have 2,000 people who once hated each other, who judged each other, who are taking uh, um, uh, hits by their race and their class and their best friends and being disowned by their family because now they're willing to bring a white or black person home or they're willing to marry a white or black person or or it seems like their friends at church are, are more important than their people. That takes a spirit that takes the spirit of God to produce. Does that make sense? And so it's not that diversity is the only sign of the Spirit's work. As I said, you can get a diversity at a Grizzlies game. 
But when you have diversity under the banner of Jesus Christ and real community under that banner, you can pretty much attest that the Spirit of God is at work there. And so, friends, what we need is a true work of the Spirit. How do we get it? Thirdly, unity and community demands gospel obedience. Notice in verse 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. What did they believe? They believed what Peter was preaching, that Jesus is the Christ. They believed that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by His grace. They believed the gospel. And so, friends, how are we personally going to get in line with the work of the Spirit in His world? Three brief things. The first is this. Be repenting. We are all naturally inclined. If you get anything from this message, please understand that there's nobody in here who is race neutral. Not me, not Chris, not Rick, not anybody. Nobody in here because we have sinned and we are sinners and our flesh is alive and active. And so we must constantly be repenting. And we need each other to repent. I can't do it alone. I don't have to deal with my sin if I just live over here in my little isolated world. But if I start living with these guys, I'm going to see my prejudice. I'm going to have thoughts and be shocked by it. And I'm going to have things that are exposed in my life that I'm going to step back and go, it scares me to death to let go. And to be honest with you, I don't know that I can. But that's how we must live. Be repenting in community. Secondly, affirm that this isn't a fringe issue. Another thing that you've got to get is that this is what God is doing in the world through His church. He is reversing Genesis 11 to give the world a glorious taste of the new community. And then thirdly, believe that since this is what God is doing in the world through His gospel, He will send His Spirit to work as you cry out. Cry out for the Spirit. Do you understand that if this is what God wants to do, don't you think that when you go to Him and say, God, help me do it, He's going to meet you there? It's a life of faith. It's a life, it's different. You must cry out to God and He will answer. How do we know? Because we know He's good. Because God didn't just come down to confuse men's languages. He came down to redeem His people. God came down in the form of of Jesus Christ and He lived under the law. And then He went to the cross and and the great exchange that uh, that Chris was referring to earlier in his prayer is that God made... um, um, Jesus sinned, the one who had no sin, so that in Christ now we might become the righteousness of God. He took our sin and He put it on Him. And He takes His righteousness when we believe and He puts it on us. And now we are loved by God. And so we can believe that a God that would do that would bless our efforts to go out and to have a community that is radically different from the world. A community where race is not the issue, where culture is not the issue, but Jesus is the issue.
So dear friends, may we go today and cry out to God for His Spirit that we might be the church in the world. That the world might get a taste of something different. And that God might get the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You. We thank You for the Gospel of Jesus. And we thank You, O God, that You are at work in this world to unite what was separated and unite what was broken. God, help us. Help us to see our own prejudice. Help us to see how we profile each and every day and how doing so stands against Your purpose in the world and Your purpose in what You're seeking to do in our lives. And Father, I pray that You would lead us unto love and lead us unto mercy and lead us unto repentance. Oh, meet us by Your Spirit, O God, and do something in this place that will shock the world and bring glory to God. And we pray this in His name. Amen.